0: Listening to this rough magic. I'm your host, Scylla Santiago. Each episode, I interview pagans and magical practitioners to learn about their faith and practice. Hold on, things are about to get rough. today's episode, I talk to Graham about good foundations for pagan practice, meditation, ritual, gods, and spirits. Now, on with the show. Today, I'm joined by Graham, who is one of the first pagans I ever met. Graham was initiated into the Alexandrian Wiccan path in 1970, in the coven of Alex and Maxine Sanders. Graham has followed a Wiccan path for 52 years, for some of that time as a high priest. He has met people from various other paths during that time and has been involved in the Norwich Pagan mood for about 20 years. Welcome to the show, Greg.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: From what I've seen since, the beginners around here all seem to naturally gravitate to you. Uh, So I thought we'd start with some beginner questions. Okay. What is paganism?
1: Paganism is the freedom to follow a path. You take ideas, you find ideas, and you move away from the indoctrination that most people get from the moment they're born. You live in a family, even an atheist family. There are references to Easter, to Christmas, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. When you begin to look at a pagan path, you begin to shed it like a snake does with the skin takes a long time some people make it some people don't some are very very good and others more pedestrian there's a wide interest in it it's a freeing of the mind and it's a finding of something within you the chant of the goddess or the charge of the goddess i should say says if you don't find it within you will not find it without so it's a combination of both. It's freedom of mind and freedom to search and to be.
0: I really like that definition because I'm so very tired of, I guess I'll say YouTube, (laughs) everything in culture which is like YouTube. Everyone is so desperately trying to find the thing that they should do.
1: A lot of YouTube and a lot of Facebook and a lot of the books try and tell you what to do, not how to do it. Writers like Doreen Valiente um, and a couple of others leave it open. And the book by Stuart Farrow, What Witches Do, shows that the training that the Sanders put forward, yes, they gave everybody a ritual basis, but there's a lot of freedom within that. And a lot of their training was personal development. And people miss that out in a lot of discussions on Wicca, especially Americans.
0: Today we're inaugurating a grand tradition of uh, alienating 90% of the audience, (laughs) so keep going.
1: I will, at some point, if you wish, do a sort of amelioration of that, but they take the Book of Shadows as Christians take the Bible. The Book of Shadows is a guide. It is not absolute word. And what they call British traditional Wicca in America, including the Church of Wicca, which may have been put together to avoid taxes, is not a direct interpretation of that. It's only an opinion.
0: So as much as I like the definition, the position it puts me in if I decide to commit to that is, what then do I actually do? If it's something I need to find within myself and something to discover, how then do I start? So my next question then is, how should one begin?
1: Uh, It depends what you can find. Moots exist all over the country, and moots are usually made up of druids, heathens, solitaries, even um, ceremonial magicians and Wiccans, and traditional witches, which which is which is usually a question that you've got to ask. Contact with a moot is good to rely simply on what's happening on YouTube or on Facebook or even on some of the courses that are out, that are put forward, Druidry is perhaps different, because Druidry is both online and has weekend camps and summer camps where people can actually meet, they can actually see what a grove is, which is a Druid group. Covens for Wicca, certainly Alexandrian and Gardnerian, are not that easy to find. Unfortunately, what was supposed to happen in the early 70s didn't really take place. And the spread has been, it's gone through different phases. Some years it was good, some years it was bad. During the time that Alex and Maxine Sanders were together, as an example, they were dedicated to it. Few people can actually dedicate themselves to wicker or to druidry We are, unfortunately, tied to life, real life, mundanity, and it limits what can be done. The ordinary person can look, read, try and contact, but be careful who they contact. Some are ego-driven. A lot are very good. Some recruit, some don't. Some are training covens, some are not. Training covens are good for... Teaching you the basics if you wish to go into Wicca, for example, the circle, the ritual, which you can use both alone and as a member of a covenant. Druidry, the same. There are Druids that go from spiritual, spirit only basis to the dualist basis. Some of them are even monotheistic. There's a widespread within Wicca, there's a widespread within Druidry. If you can contact someone that's actively involved and seems to know what they're doing then speaking to them can give you a start also there are solitaries that have a natural talent they can i'm not saying do it a la cunningham but during voliente for example recognized it somebody crowley uh, another one she's a good writer Not Alistair, no, it's a female.
0: That's why I laughed.
1: A a contemporary writer. (laughs) I can't remember her. Crowley. Crowley, yeah. Um, The possibilities and the route that you could take. As you've heard me call it, it's a twisted path. It's uh, not one that's straight. You don't get your answers straight away. But people can read, people can contact, people can absorb. But they need to think what they want, where they want to go, and how they want to go. And people don't seem to. If they read it, they tend to take it as right, as writ, and that does not always
0: work. Mm. I think the important difference is so many people are looking for something convenient, something quick, and something that demands little of them.
1: Yes, and that's what has changed since the, uh, the old days, if you like. You had to do it and you had to be prepared to work, turn up, do it. And if you were in training, you had to follow the training. It is different. It's not something that you can simply take on. Some, unfortunately, no, some fortunately, I should say, are much more natural. And once they reach those crossroads in the crooked path or the forks in it, they know which way to go. And it's like a small hill. They can go over it quite easily. Some stand there and look at the hill. And there's a mixture of the fear of the unknown and a little bit of lack of self worth. I won't call people who want it convenient lazy, because a lot of it, don't forget, we're dealing with the psyche. We're dealing with the subconscious mind as well as the conscious mind. And all three need to be in sync, for it to work for you. That's what ritual does. Whatever method you use, it puts you in that frame of mind where the balance exists. A lot of people find it very difficult to find that balance for a number of reasons. That's why they want it so convenient, because of fear, because of, some are lazy, and some have a sense of entitlement, which is being fueled by a lot of the online stuff.
0: I didn't want to suggest that anybody who wanted it was necessarily lazy because that's not what I think. Um I think a lot of it is because because that is the culture in which we're living. Mm. We're used to things being made easy and being made convenient. Um I'm sure this is something I'll bring up many many times on this podcast but anything that is touched by consumerism is corrupted. And it's it's not just about like you know people selling Spells on Etsy or whatever—I couldn't care less. It's that—it's that logic that you're buying a product to optimize this luxury item, which is your life, and you want it fast, you want it now, and if you don't like it, you want your money back. And that, yeah,
1: I mean, mean, look at it in in these terms: you go onto eBay and you can be sold a kit which contains herbs, which contains incense, and everything you need for that spell. Now, you have to actually go out and buy the separate materials and put those together to prepare for a ritual. That's what I meant as part of being going towards it. It concentrates your mind. Why are you doing it? It concentrates your actions. Mm -hmm. I need to do this because it comes from within. And the desire to do that comes from within. To buy it off eBay, you can put it down. You can look at it. You can do a ritual in 10 minutes and think that you are going to exercise the art magical. You're going to raise the power, the focus, the intent to release it, and your will will carry it through. I suggest that may not be the result, if you see what I mean, because what you're finding within yourself is everyone has a latent talent of one type or another. I've seen it in others. I've seen it in a certain person I met at the moot in recent times and have had that conversation with her, going through what that person did. Turns out she was doing things correctly. And protection, for example, if you are interfering in what is known as the paranormal, parapsychology, or whatever, you need a defense against it. You need to be secure you need to feel safe for your will to succeed now that's not mentioned in a lot of things online it's not mentioned in a lot of the spell books that are shown even cunningham doesn't go into that a great deal and yet those in the past if you go back to the 20s 30s protection the golden dawn protection the society of light all of the organization protection was needed you don't know what you're interfering with you don't know what you'll come up against when you open yourself you make yourself vulnerable whether people like this or like it not even someone that's been practicing for a long time can suffer from vulnerability because things get through because things are not protected against and they want to proceed into a world where the elements are where elementals are where there are guardians where there are ancestors who may or may not like being prodded who may or may not like you being close to a person or a body that they're associated with now do they teach you how to deal with any reaction that may come back no they don't they only teach you how to do That is, I think, one of the greatest dangers. Training, self training, or group training in the ones that I'd mentioned will give you the basics. And that's something that's missing. The sense of entitlement seems to push that aside. Some Mm. of the authors seem to think that you don't need it. Are they practitioners? Probably not. They're writing, they're not doing. And it's very easy to write it's not very easy to do and that's the difference between the two i mm. hope that makes sense
0: no it does absolutely i think the protection is it's part of that set of skills that is your spiritual growth and that's the thing that's just not there in you know a spell a spell sachet on etsy or you know in a you know the teenage witch's 1001 spells or, or whatever it is They don't teach you to develop yourself in a spiritual way, to develop your will, to develop your innate ability in any way. And I think you're right to say that protection is the most pressing one. But also, it's selling people spirituality when in fact you're ending up with a spiritual desert. I, I remember I was... I I was listening to a podcast because in researching for this podcast, I was trying to see what the the other podcasts out there were like. And I was listening to this interview with this woman who described herself as a secular witch. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And so she's saying, you know, sometimes I use herbs and candles. I call on gods. And I went, whoa, whoa, wait. Secular witch calling on gods. So are they are the same like stationers' candles. then, and It was just so cynical and empty.
1: It's like an atheist witch. Now, if you don't follow deities and only use spirits, that is towards the animistic, shamanistic. That can be done, but it's got to be done in the same way. The other thing, I think, is the build-up. How do you concentrate? How do you focus? how do you show intent now how many of those spell books will take you through the steps you need to reach to reach that level of will to make the alleged spell succeed or possibly succeed
0: i remember when i first started i well i say i've started recently i recently i've come back to it i tried with paganism many years ago and it was very chaotic and i had no one to guide me and it was very difficult Not one of my spells ever worked. And when I restarted recently, in the beginning they didn't work. And then slowly, slowly they suddenly started to work. And the difference was, I think, I'd started to develop faith and I'd started to develop will.
1: Correct. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Love is the law. Love under will. Now, love doesn't just encompass people, people, or family. It encompasses everything. And people need to look at the meaning of words. It's very simple, but will is the content of that. Will is developing yourself. The only way they will become productive, as you are, or as as you are becoming, and you use that will, that word, and. In a way, it is a key, because it's overcoming and recognising. Those are the two things.
0: The thing with will is, this is another thing I'm probably going to say again and again, is that the words you use, the terms you use are really important because each word unpacks an enormous amount of meaning and there's huge difference between the words. I think will, that thing that is so important, gets misconstrued into that thing people call intention. Oh, you must have intention for a spell. Intention is the most important thing. Well, yeah, you need to know what you want out of it and be focused on it. But it's like they've taken will and stripped out of it anything that's deep. And that, that actually means something.
1: They stripped out the context of it because will actually means doing. It actually means your being is behind it. You've tuned yourself to the level where you know you can succeed. The Mm -hmm. art magical is the manipulation by will of the mundane to alter certain forms or certain things within reality. That's the definition I heard anyway. And if you take that as a given, as I said, if they don't find it within, they won't find it without, and they won't succeed in doing things without Without getting the will within, they've got to look in and Mm -hmm. find that that's there. The talent's there. And once they get hold of that, they can follow a direction. That's what's missing in a lot of the flummery that's put out. Some people claim to have it, but they haven't. And that's why moots need to exist. I learn things. I've been around. Well, you said how long I've been around for. Every mood, I learn something. I talk Mm. to people who are of a different kind of witchcraft to myself. I learn something. I'm not a pure Alexandrian any longer. I've tried other methods, and my personal um, form of practice, which I won't go into, is different to if I was high priest in a group, or if I was initiating people, or if I was just in a general group. You evolve, and that is, I think, the key. We evolve from what we were.
0: It should be about growth rather than just, I'm doing this spell because I want this thing. Like, it's it's fine if you want a thing, but there has to be something else, surely.
1: You're right. That is one thing I find missing in a number of people. My talents have been mixed. I've alluded to some of them. Um, I found that as I get older, I'm more empathic, which is also a slight problem because I'm having to use will to control that. <laughs> Even after 50 odd years, you have to apply your will to any evolution of yourself. I'm a reasonable ritualist. I've been involved in every stage of Wiccan ritual and a number of others in different ways. Been at a number of sacred sites. And you can grow within that. But if you see and feel something growing, even after such a long time, prior to that, it was intermittent, far more intermittent, on the hunch level. And people should take notice of that, what they naturally feel about something. That's also a part of the growth. The more they look at it, the more they take notice of it, the more it will grow and people don't they have a tendency to dismiss without looking self awareness is a very strong element in personal growth you have to know what's coming from you so that you can know where you're going
0: and i think the other half of that is discernment it's one thing to have this inner you know intuition but if you can't discern what's useful or, or what's or what's good like you end up believing
1: anything more or less yes that's where self-awareness and self-development come in self-development's the exercise self-awareness is if you like the payoff and one thing i have noticed about well 52 years that's two generations is a growth of lack of self-worth you see it in facebook posts and memes you see it in quotes from instagram you see it in i see it in both my offspring one of whom's forty, one of whom's in his 20s i suppose i was more arrogant in those days but i was also more aware and i try not to apply the same rules that i followed to them successfully thankfully most of the time and i think the computer age it was much more difficult in the dim and distant past there were few people about You couldn't get books. The things that were written were, they were like um, copies that you run off a machine and pin up in places like Atlantis in London or Treadwells now. They were notice boards. And that was the only contacts people had. And talking in pubs, going to Alexander's lectures, were, for a lot of people, the only ways of contacting others the plethora of information while it's good and I take full advantage of it where I can is also a downside. It makes it easy for people to come across it so the sense of entitlement is reinforced by it so (laughs) the treasure that's out there is perhaps worth a little less than the gold it appears to be Um, in that way. It lessens the the need for that sort of enthusiasm, that sort of intent to look.
0: And I think that goes back to the consumerism I mentioned earlier. Spirituality becomes just yet another thing you consume in the vast sea of things to consume that are pouring past you every day.
1: If you want an example of that, you just have to look at the Roman Catholic Church. They've been selling indulgences for years. And if you go there often enough, like once a week and confess, drop a fair amount into the collection bowl you're absolved for eternity if you do anything in certainly wicker you may suffer for it in the next life and maybe the alive after that it's the imposition of absolution you can't create absolution all you can do is have a good ethical and principle base and work from that that's the other thing that i think is missing when it comes to those spell books on Etsy and that, there's no philosophy behind them. There's no ethical framework within which mm. they should work. For example, if somebody gets a love spell and uses it, let's say they're aiming at a I don't know nuclear family, and they're aiming at the male who's got a decent job, mortgage, wife works, kids are okay, both at school, all of a sudden, I want him. Now, what's the ethical basis that person is aiming at the other person for? What is the reasoning? What's the motivation? Now, serious people I know would look into something like that. Similarly with healing. I've seen healing sent over Facebook. I only know one person that could heal at a distance, and that was Alexander's. And he spent 20 years as a spiritualist healer under another name. I think it was Paul Dacre or something like that. His family had a history in spiritualism, and he was hands-on, spiritual healer, for a couple of decades. So the values that people put on what they do and why they do it are a little suspect, would you say?
0: So you mentioned earlier shamanism and how that's... From what I understood, what you said is like a paganism without gods necessarily.
1: It is. It's one that recognises the spirit of land, water, air. Also, it's possibly one of the ones that would promote out-of-body astral travel. The position of the shaman... In the cultures we know today, be it the Sami, be it Siberia, be it South America, are similar to the ones we know from the past. They were within a community, usually the contact of the gods or God or whatever. They were the healers. Um, they were treated with a great deal of respect, the Native Americans, Africa, wherever. I've read some writings from. Uh, native americans and some from africa and the so-called witch doctors they were the links between a society and its ancestors and its gods but as healers and as historians they would keep the history of their tribe community nation whichever it happened to be and shamanism as it's practiced is much wider they allegedly can shapeshift which means that they can take animals uh, or birds or almost any creature and enter the minds of those creatures they can be as a wolf an eagle hawk, whatever and they can understand the natural world far better than anyone else and it's to the natural world that they appear to be tide it's the spirits Mm. and the ancestors not necessarily a god shamanism seems to have fallen into two areas one is widely spaced like the sami who seem to have a more spiritual worship of things like the reindeer things like the wolf things like the land in which they live and that's how they survive others may like the mongols who had a shamanistic tradition and it was the god of the sky, the wind god, that was channelled, but it was on a shamanistic basis. They're not priests as such, but if rituals take place, they would have a leading role. They'd also have a role as advisor, something like the concept of the Druids we see. The Druids also, if we look at the description in the early texts by the Greek geographers, or in Julius Caesar, who allegedly bribed one to give away the secrets, were close to the shamanistic. They would understand astronomy, they would understand the seasons, they would understand, to an extent, maths and the various forces of nature. Also, possibly control the weather. Those are all things that have been attributed to what could be described as shamanism. And there's no deification, that fits it all. But shamanism seems to have operated in the same sort of way in a number of different societies, maybe in the Amazon jungle, on the steppes with the Mongols, to the far north with the Sami, or Saxon to a certain degree, um, and some of the um, pagans that were wiped out in the Baltic states, Latvia, uh, Lithuania, Estonia, that were wiped out by the Northern Crusade so it spreads across and it's varied but the skills there are mostly spirit based in one way or another healing was like i said a very strong part of them and it would appear that you needed to be apprenticed to do it there would be an apprentice with a shaman especially if they felt they were coming to the end of their life or let's see one of the myths is that they could see their own death the circumstances of it and they would prepare for it by taking an apprentice or two or whatever but it's it's outside of what we know of dualistic polytheistic areas of gods whereas they were you approach the deity and there's a direct relationship and all flows from that and the consciousness goes through that um, as it does in a lot of Druidry, wicker, some witchcraft. Some of witchcraft is based on quite a shamanistic. The hedge witches, for example, who have a very, very good knowledge of herbalism, who have a very, very good knowledge of local folk magic, the toad ritual, for example, things like that in East Anglia. And as a strong, locally here in Norwich, there is a very strong tenor of that in the practice of people in this area. More people than belong to Wicca, one is quite isolated as a Wiccan in some ways, so yes, is that okay for shamanism
0: no that's that's brilliant. My question was was actually going to be, do you need to worship a specific god or gods to be pagan so you've you've answered that already, and I think it it goes to show that you know when when I'm saying pagan, i'm not really talking about one thing it's it's an umbrella term that catches so many things
1: yes, I think it is. What I said earlier on, um, freedom, freedom of mind, freedom to believe. I don't want my beliefs to be tolerated. I want my ability to believe as I will, let it harm none, to be accepted. I'm tired of being tolerated. I would stand up in front of the Synod of whatever it is, Lambeth or... Canterbury or whatever, and try and reclaim the word "witch" for example, and see how many walked out. that would be interesting, but I think we need to follow who we are, I'm tired of being told who I am. Too many people in this society want to tell you who you are, and most of them know absolutely well, you can imagine what I'm going to say there, no knowledge what. And that's the most diplomatic way I can put it. There are six other descriptions of that, but um, I'm not using them for a podcast. They don't know what's in a person's mind, and they certainly don't know what's in a person's soul and is yet to emerge. And too many people make that judgment book and cover. And what we are trying to do as pagans is free ourselves from that. Not just the indoctrination that I described in every home, you're made aware of role model, told what to do, told how to feel about. We're putting that aside. That, unfortunately, is one of the dangers because when we walk away from it, we walk away from a comfort zone, as they call it today. That also holds people back, that fear, and it can be quite a strong thing to break from what your parents told you, what your school told you, what your friends believe. And it takes will to get beyond that stage. It's not mm-hmm. a dumb conversion. Well, it is for some lucky people, uh, but not others. Other people have to work at it. And that, I think, under, underlies what we were talking about earlier. People find that difficult. And for a lot of people, that's too difficult. So they mm-hmm. accept the convenient.
0: And I think there's anxiety in it as well because the real work of that, I think, is private. So I, I value like what happens inside me like privately so, so much. I don't feel like I need to tell the world, I am this, I believe this. I think in our culture, we overvalue presenting that we're in such a rush to show everyone what we are inside that we don't actually spend that much time developing that inside and for me that that figuring it out that going it you know on your own and being yourself is is such an internal thing which i think is uncomfortable for a lot of people being alone with it
1: it is i think that's why the Online stuff has been so successful. It seems to be inclusive, but it's not. I'm quite a private person, and despite what people may think, I'm quite shy as well.
0: Me too. We're very similar. Like I, I love, I love people, but I'm I'm not a um, I'm not in it for attention. I don't like attention.
1: Oh gosh, no. I've been in various areas where I've needed to make public statements, and I can do it um sometimes quite brilliant speeches sometimes i make an absolute fool of myself but that's the other side dealing with that is not easy sometimes you have periods where the catholics call it being lapsed where you still believe but you're inactive now this can be caused by life itself life events or you can reach a crisis Sometimes you reach a crisis that you don't think you can handle. That's the difficult bit, because you have to find something within you Mm. to eventually overcome that. And doing things alone can leave you in that trap. I think that's why moots are um, so important. They're a safe space. And I've heard things at moots that I believe that people would not say to members of their own family. And sometimes you do need to express something to get an echo back, to get a confirmation that there are people out there. I used to call a syndrome of mine the why me syndrome. And it means, why am I? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why am I here? Etc. And it goes back to the lack of self-worth. I think you have to build up within yourself that level of will that will at least take you part of the way through the difficult areas. And you're lucky in that respect. I think you've got more of an idea of where you want to go than a number of people I've seen. Yes, I know the the feeling of I am a solitary now. I chose to give up my role in the priesthood for various reasons. And I became a seeker. And I've covered a lot of sacred sites. Thankfully, I've been able to travel from Egypt to Greece to Italy to Malta to France to New Zealand. Because you feel each of these as you walk through them. You go in the footsteps of those who have gone before. And what you can learn in that is quite stunning. It's like all the sites that exist in Britain. Each one of them has a different effect or flavour. When there are 4,000 people at Stonehenge, it's not quite the same. Long ago, I was able to walk amongst those stones before all this lot started, and it was quite a feeling. Avebury, Woodhenge, the Royal Rites, etc., etc. You know, anywhere you go, you celebrate a ritual at once. I was in the ring of Broggar in Orkney, and I contacted the local uh, pagan group And there was a ritual going on. It was a solstice summer. And it was about four o'clock in the morning, the sun was rising, and a coachload of German and American tourists turned up. Not exactly in the ritual, but uh, the clicking of cameras was a bit irritating. That's the sort of thing that can happen. But the ritual itself was great. And sometimes when you go, you don't have to be known to them. You can be accepted. And I think a moot does that. Ours, thankfully, are friendly. And they exist. There are at least three, maybe four in Norfolk. And there are others across the country. I think they're necessary. solitaries turn up there because you can work alone, but you still need that contact with others so the why me doesn't take over and click in.
0: That's why I went, because I... I I knew in myself that I wanted to have a a solitary practice and to do things my way, as as you say. And that is a scary thing. Like I said, you're, you're alone with it. You're developing it so privately. And I needed other people who could guide me and just... Even if they gave me no advice, even if we just talked about, I don't know, cooking all day, just to be with them. And that's so missing... Without the mood. I don't have anything else like that.
1: It is because what we don't, you can talk to yourself, but if you articulate something to someone else, it becomes more of a reality. And if you meet someone who is of a similar direction on the path, similar ritual practice, similar aims, then there's a reflection within you. And during a conversation, the mental nods happen. Oh, maybe doing that right. Ah, maybe I'm looking at that right. Or there's an oh shit moment when you think, oh, I'm doing that wrong. Might try that. And it's that interchange. The internet and Instagram are all very well, but they cannot give you that unless you put about a thousand words on it, which I don't think they'd like you to do and people don't read them anyway conversation is more than just the words it's the feelings that are exchanged within it what you feel from others it's encouragement by osmosis if you like when you're in a moot group you can feel the different things that are going on at a good moot group there are three conversations going on between about 15 people and you can feel the other conversations. They're just as good as the one you're involved in. And then five minutes later you may be involved in that conversation. It's not just the feeling of fellowship that that you have as a member of the pagan community. It's the contact with the pagan community. There are some covens that I've heard of that ban any contact with things like Witchfest, with local moots. They give people reading lists. And that is the sort of coven that I would avoid like the plague, because the interaction of people, the initial practice of Wicca, coming from Alex and Maxine Sanders was to go through the grades, take the training, hive off, and form your own coven. So there would be a network of covens to come together at the great Sabbaths of the Wheel of the Year. Now, every time a coven, hived off for example it would be different to alex and maxine's the high priest and priestess would have different ideas the people that were drawn to them would have different skills different skill sets the ritual base would be the same but the practice would be different so no two governments would be exactly alike unlike churches where you walk in you do the same thing if you go to a church in Newcastle and then go to a church in Southampton, you get the same thing. Whereas even within Wicca, if you went to, left a coven in London and moved to, I don't know, Birmingham, you'd find different. The ritual will be comforting and comfortable, but the people would be different. But the same underlying ideas, philosophy and ethics would still be there but you will be allowed to develop in a different way. And that, I think, is part of why people become pagan. It's that freedom. Even within the so-called restrictive, coven-based or group-based, there is still a freedom um, and a difference. And it's a way of expressing oneself. In private practice, it's a way of expressing yourself that you really don't want to show to anyone else.
0: Can I ask you a practical question about something completely different? Yep. So let's say you did want to involve gods in your path somehow. How how do you know when you've been called by a deity? Or how do you find your your deity?
1: Meditation, to begin with. Awareness. If you're drawn, for example, to the moon, let's say you're drawn to the lunar cycle, you start looking at goddesses of the moon. If you're drawn to... Healing, you look at goddesses of or gods of healing. Meditation usually opens up something within yourself and says yes. That's another thing that's missing from a lot of the books. Because if you, let's say that you have Astarte, Diana, Melusin, and Aradia in your mind, meditate on each one of them. Something will happen during one of those meditations. Either you'll come out of the meditation wanting to know more, or you'll come out of the meditation wanting to move on to the next one. See, this is within and drawing out what is within because you're penetrating beyond the subconscious into your own soul and psyche and looking for the echoes, looking for any kind of connection, and it will happen that way it's like looking for a spirit animal shaman used to find them in the same way the aborigines do Dreamtime walks native americans used to go and sit and fast on top of a rock but it's all meditation finding where they belong and to help them on the path that they intend to take or that they want to take but don't know as yet so meditation is looking within And once you reveal what is within and those echoes, those, it may not be a connection, it may just be a voice, it may be a whisper, but then you know a bit more. And like I said, you don't go on to the next. You want to know more of that one. So you devote several. And each time you're strengthening or listening or being able to hear because you have to hear and listen. (laughs)
0: I think it's really important to distinguish what we mean by meditation here, because I think so many people misunderstand it as simply clearing the mind or or something.
1: It is clearing the mind, but it's also having a focus. Meditation can be focused. You start with a five-minute period and a kitchen timer, then 10 minutes and so on. You build into yourself the ability to bring forward whatever's within you. Sometimes. It can be how to do ritual. Are you happy with it? If you meditate on it several times, you may find you're not. But by the time you hit the third or fourth period of meditation, you'll know why. If you know why, you know how to alter it and how to make it more productive, how to make it um, more relevant to you. And if you've linked up with the idea that the healing is more, that narrows down the deities if the divination is more that narrows down the deities and you can move on then to the next stage focusing on each of those deities
0: this is good for me to know as well because that's how i have been meditating so it's a bit reassuring for me i've been calling it contemplation more than meditation because of that way that things rise up out of me it's like things become present directly to my understanding. It's like I'm not, I'm not sat there thinking about, oh, well, what do I think about this? And am I doing this ritual? Am I-? It's more I'll, I'll be so focused and all of a sudden it's like I suddenly know something that I didn't know before.
1: That's it. And then you move on to the next stage. You realise that knowing that has led you to need to do something else. It's a stage of self-development that's missing. In your Etsy, in your spell books, and in a lot of the online stuff as well. It's called training. And discipline is the other thing that's missing. The feeling of the need to do it. But not just to do it then, but to apply it once you have the skill, the talent, call it what you will, to others as well. Because it's not just that you can apply it to. You can apply it to specific situations and to bring forward any talent that you've discovered and develop it specifically along those paths. It's a little like a guided meditation. And the guided meditation, if you want to do one, you can script for yourself where you can imagine, let's say a walk through a small range of Hills into a small forest and you discover something in the forest or in a cave or in a tree or whatever. And you can see if there's actually something there that connects with you or that you can contact. And it's a way, like ritual, of taking you through those levels of consciousness that will allow you to recognize it and follow it.
0: Since you compare that to ritual, can you just clarify what do you mean by ritual? What is ritual?
1: Okay, I'll take you through a basic um, Wiccan ritual. First, you cleanse yourself, shower, bath with a bit of salt in it. That begins the process. Now, you may want to grind some ingredients to make up your incense. You may want to light a little block of charcoal, put your incense on. You lay out the altar. If you want an altar, you lay out the things you need to cleanse the area. Use earth, fire and water to cleanse the area, which is a mixture of salt, water, either a wand or finger, and fire, a candle. Then you would, or I would, describe the circle, usually with an athame. in my case. I would then invoke the watchtowers as protection. And then I would recognize and invite my deities to join me within the circle. A, for the extra protection and B, for the reverence and respect I have of them. Then I would be willing and able to proceed to raising power. In my case, I'd use chant or drum or background music and trance. Raising any power you need to do what? Or it would simply be to celebrate one of the sabbats or to celebrate the lunar how's that for a basic
0: that's great <laughs> thank you
1: it's very simple and very straightforward mm. you don't need an ethemi people say um you can trace it yourself but um as i got my family 50 odd years ago and i'm still using the same one unlike some people i haven't bought six since i started not a collector it was consecrated by Alex and Maxine and uh, it's quite a treasured possession I've still got my copy of the original handwritten book of shadows from his book and those are about the only things I've got left from those days Mm. unfortunately in moving from Wales to uh, East Anglia there were three or four of us coming from the college to UEA and we hired an idiot to bring the stuff over and I had certain boxes stolen one of which contained all the notes that i would made of Alex's lectures over the years. Good God. Yeah, that's one of the phrases I used. There were a few others, but the Book of Shadows and the Athena were obviously in my personal luggage at the time, together with a couple of other things. Yeah, it's a basic ritual, and that's how I would set up. The cleansing is important. The cleansing is part of the protection that you have also it elevates you to each stage of the ritual elevates you to another level of will and each stage of the ritual elevates you to another level of security both of which can affect your intent and focus and should not be allowed to your will must be able to proceed to be used without those encumbrances so that's the old fashioned way of doing it
0: i think speaking of ritual it would be instructive for people listening to compare it to the way i do it because i don't obviously i i've got like what six months experience and I'm, I'm not on your 52 years but i just think it's important to say that there's not one way of doing it and if somebody tries to tell you there's one way of doing it you should definitely take that with a pinch of salt because The way I do it is very, very different because I've never been one for the the high ceremony or anything that feels ceremonious because it just doesn't feel right or real to me. Like it feels less real the more formal I try to make it. So I have very, very low maintenance, very simple rituals, but they're very intense. So for example, my full moon ritual is I... I have an altar, but again, very, very simple, and I change it up uh, depending on what I'm doing. And my altar will just be a white candle. I have a little dish, um, which is made of black marble. Um, here's a trick if, if you need some products to, of, of whatever kind to do your your rituals, just don't buy anything that's got witch in front of it or your pagan in front of it. Like mine is just a, my little dish is it's just a, like a dip bowl from a cook shop. It's a lot cheaper. It's so much cheaper. Just, yeah, don't don't get fooled. Go for cookware. <laughs> anyway, so I've got this black marble dish and I fill it with rock salt. And I've got a little piece of tumbled selenite and I put it on the salt and I put it near the candle, which makes the selenite glow in this just most beautiful way. And it sheds its light on the salt. And I sit with the candle. I have my own little way of calling down the moon, which is really just something very simple. I whisper to myself. I don't like to say things out loud. Again, it, it feels less real the louder I say it. It has to be quiet. There's something about whispering. And then when I do that, I meditate upon the altar and until I'm finished. That's it.
1: That's about what I did last time for the moon. I lit a candle, meditated, invited my own gods, to be welcome within my mind. I sat opposite a friend in a pub not that long ago. And I simply said to him, my mind is my temple. And he looked me in the eye and said, yes, so is mine. Now we practice differently, but that coming together is a rare thing. You don't have to do that kind of ritual. You have recognized a level of security. You've recognized a level of competence and you've recognized a level of connection and you're progressing along that road. So why not? I've got a bowl with pears round it. And that's the one I'd use. I have a tendency to use an obsidian sphere just in case anything comes up, which is quite interesting. Sometimes if I was moving back through to being a priest, calling down of the moon is. Very strong ritual. It's in the public domain, so I'm not giving anything away. As high priest, you call down the goddess onto the high priestess. It's one of those that makes a connection. It's very difficult to break. It's quite tiring sometimes, but it's one of the strongest rituals within Wicca. It's a recognition that the high priestess is the representative of the goddess within the circle. Um, There is a calling down of the sun as well, which I've also been through, um, especially at the solstice. Now, I know what you mean about High Wicca and that since I moved on, I no longer use the Wiccan parts that come from Kabbalah, for example. If you look at the rituals that are in the Witch's Bible by the Pharaohs, you find that they're a bit stripped back compared with alexandrian ritual and i tend to follow that school of thought rather than anything else the one i described to you of doing the circle etc would probably be in celebration of the sabbath for the moon it's different i'm a priest of the goddess and always have been and i'll remain so until i turn my toes up and move on to whatever's coming and i think We all evolve, that's what I said earlier. You have started your evolution already. What you describe is exhibition of something of a natural talent, and you should follow that. You don't need the ritual, Or what's within you is something a little more straightforward, but it's as effective, and you don't have to use the same ritual. If you can establish that connection, and you can establish that degree of, security and balance then you should follow it and i think it's as simple as that when i said alex recognized natural ability he did and he wanted people within wicker with that natural ability i'm not sure with hindsight i entirely agree i think they should have been advised and mentored but allowed to find their own way it strengthened wicker But whether it strengthened them or not immediately, the training would help. But that's a bit of heresy. And Maxine and I have some differences in some areas. I moved away from the Covenant in seventy two. But they were apart then anyway. But it was after, off and on for two years. We've met since. And we do, I think, disagree on some things. One cannot be Absolutely following our way, a way. You have to follow your way. And I think that seems to be what you're doing.
0: I hope so.
1: Sounds like it.
0: So let's say you feel your draw to a god and you've decided upon which one you're going to approach. How then do you commune with that entity?
1: Right. You open yourself is the easiest answer. If you found the whisper has developed into more, as you take it through a meditational process, you will find a stronger connection. You'll research that god, the background, The aspects, there will be a reflection of something within you. Like I said, people follow divination, they follow prescience, they follow healing, herbalism, and some follow astral projection. There'll be an indication of which direction to go towards the deity. The connection is a personal one. There is no absolute answer. How do I connect? Some may not. They are notoriously fickle. Some of the human attributes that we've given to some of the pantheons, especially the Hellenic and the Roman, and to an extent the Egyptian, may not actually apply. But if your practice contains something that that deity is connected to, there will be a connection. If, for example, you feel drawn to, let's say Brigitte, for example, where healing and divination are two of her aspects, you follow one of those, then you may not feel a direct connection at first, but you'll find an increase in your ability, your natural ability, and it will emerge even more. And at some point, there may be, a direct connection where you can request things from the God or Goddess concerned, and it would be answered. Direct conversation is difficult. I know people say that they appear. Sometimes that's why guided meditation is the way. You create an atmosphere within your own mind within which you could accept contact with the deity. And that may be a method that people should follow they feel an increase in the acuity of whatever talents they have, then they have a genuine connection with that deity or that spirit. But it's only by working through it, by feeling it, by self-awareness, even keeping a chronicle, a book, a diary, that they can look, see. It may be dreams. It may be something outside ritual. It can be anything connected. Because you're dealing with something that, is not simply something that will happen during ritual you manage to evoke a connection like that it could happen at any time any time that you think of concentrate on focus on whatever's emerging with you people that simply say i went along and i started talking to thor may be fooling themselves just a little bit because you have to break down your experiences, into what is, what could be, and what isn't. That is the level of self-awareness and why it's important.
0: You mentioned deities or spirits. What is the difference between a god and a spirit?
1: Right. If you go to a site, let's say you go to the Royal rights in Oxfordshire, and you feel something, it's a genius loci spirit of place you feel a connection with a wood or a forest or even the copse of trees and you feel within it that your meditation is far more effective and if you're lucky enough that any ritual you hold within it is far more effective then you've contacted the spirit of place of the trees naiads dryads call them what you will now it's a place of comfort it's a place of security we evolved from the chemicals of the Big Bang so they say and ended up as sentient beings and then reasoning beings now who's to say that the planet we're on the trees, the water, the air didn't develop in the same way or the creatures thereof we know that things exist beyond our normal comprehension and our ability to see them Sometimes we get flashes of those in the corner of your eye, from a feeling, from a genius loci, from whatever it happens to be. You can have a relationship with them. When I spoke of shamanistic, it's a range of spirits. It's not just one or two. It's being able to interact with the spirits that exist in the world. There are some things that are like ghosts. Um, that manifestation can be a little disturbing on occasion, but they exist. It's memory, it's ancestors, it's a host of things. Even a pantheon may only have ten gods or goddesses in it, but the spirits are spread across, across nature, air, fire, water, place, buildings, to work with all of them. you would probably live to need, be about 200, <laughs> and then still have a lot of work to do the difference being when you work with or within the ambit of a deity you work with them on a personal development basis when you work with spirits you work with them on a one-off basis i think is the best way of describing it you contact them and ask for their permission to be there and they grant it and you meditate there you may meditate there two dozen times but if you're in contact with a deity you'll be using that connection 200 times 300 times 400 times each time you wish to do your ritual so i'm not decrying spirits but they're not of the same strength or stature of the help you may get from a mm. specific deity also deities have been worshipped often for a couple of thousand years the Possible power there if they're reawakened and somebody else takes up, you're able to lock into a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years of the power that a mass has given them. The use of a site may only be, well, Stonehenge, 400 years. It's a small amount compared with the other. So the strength of one is greater than the strength of the other, but the continuity of one is greater than the continuity of the other. So it's a balance as within a lot of things within paganism. It's a trade-off, if you see what I mean.
0: I do. And that would help you to notice, let's say you started developing some sort of relationship with a spiritual entity, that would help you notice whether you were dealing with a deity or or a spirit, that constance.
1: Yeah. Mm. There are some playful deities that may try and piss you off, but yeah. Look at the northern pantheon, you've got Loki, and you also have Odin, who wasn't always, according to the sagas, as straight as he should have been. So, yeah, you you may deal with playful or um, otherwise deities. That's why you have to be focused and um, a little wary as to what the contact is and what you're asking. That's why the ability to say goodbye at the end of a ritual Break that connection. You invite them into your life, the consequences are your fault. So, (laughs) something I wouldn't advise doing. Don't mind them watching over me, but I don't want them ruling my life.
0: You say it's the crooked path, of course. You expect mistakes. I expect to make mistakes all the time and get punished for them and then learn and then not do them again.
1: I made two oaths after my initiation over and above the Normal initiation oaths. The first, to accept nothing in return and to give back. And the second was to accept responsibility for my own actions. Now, from what we've spoken of Etsy and Cunningham and Llewellyn, the idea that people should take responsibility for their own actions be it buying a spell book, be it conducting ritual, be it slagging people off for their unfortunate beliefs should not take place because everyone should look in a mirror. What is it? Judge?
0: Judge not lest ye be judged.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good Christian concept, good pagan concept as well.
0: Good concept, <laughs> just hands down.
1: But it falls into that, and um, I'm a little tired of some of them. We used to call it bitchcraft long ago, and I've no place for it. There are people I just like. But I dislike them, if you'll pardon the expression, because they're twats, not because of them being shamanistic or druid or heathen or a satru or whatever. One thing that I found a long time ago is to support anyone's right to believe, but also hold in reserve the right to be a reasonable critique of practice. And that's what I've tried to keep to. I just wish that a few others would we'll keep to that, or at least try. And it's something I've found chastening, I suppose, over, over the years. The growth of the internet has meant, and I've seen some of the other forums, and uh, some of them are quite disturbing. Others oh, make you want to give up. <laughs> but, yeah, again, underlying ethics and philosophy.
0: Well, it's one of the reasons I wanted to make this podcast is because I feel so keenly the dearth of that. And I'm hoping that through these conversations we could bring more ethics, more philosophy into what we're doing.
1: I cannot stand orthodox fundamentalists. There is a time at the beginning when you need the security of a framework. But once you develop to a certain level, that framework should become a guide, not a prison. I'm a member of the pagan federation as well. and. That's one of their mantras. Just let us believe, as I said earlier. That's all I want. I don't want to be tolerated. I don't want to be accepted. But I also want the same for every other person that treads a pagan path. They don't care what they are. I might criticise here and there. But then again, it's a free world. Well, at least here anyway.
0: I'm I'm fully expecting plenty of people to turn off the podcast the second I start going off about consumerism and, and Etsy. <laughs> but... They can do that if they want. That's not what they want. I'm not going to, you know, I can't force them to listen to it. But for the people who feel that they want to hear something different or feel that there's there's something missing and they want something more, I hope that this podcast is going to go some way to give it to them.
1: I would entirely agree with that. Consumerism is advertising telling us what we need, not asking us what we need. And we should be asking ourselves, what do we need? Me.
0: it's also something that encourages you to think only about what you can get and not about what you can give and i want this to be about what you can give
1: wherever i've lived i've had the urge to give back sometimes this has been in a way of working with charitable organizations sometimes it's been taking office sometimes public office and doing things that help the environment or help people in my professional career i defended people i think if you believe in this world you've had a lot from it we have enough entitlements and people forget the obligations just within society i think as pagans we have more obligations because we should be thinking of things in a wider context but that's only a personal view
0: i happen to agree with that personal view Good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the show, Gray.
1: You're more than welcome. Blessed be.
0: If you enjoyed this episode and would like the show to continue... You can support this rough magic by becoming a patron at Patreon.com/slash-this-rough-magic-podcast. For three dollars a month, subscribers gain access to my private Discord community, where you can talk with me, my guests, and other listeners of the show. Or you can give a one-time donation at Coffee. That's kofi slash this rough Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. This helps new listeners find the show. This show would not be possible without your kind support. Thank you. Today's poem is from Hymn to Proserpine by Algernon Charles Swinburne. Goddess and maiden and queen, be near me now and befriend. O daughter of earth, of my mother, her crown and blossom of birth. I am also, I also thy brother, I go as I came unto earth. In the night where thine eyes are as moons are in heaven, the night where thou art, where the silence is more than all tunes, where sleep overflows the heart, where the poppies are sweet as the rose in our world, and the red rose is white, and the wind falls faint as it blows with the fume of the flowers of the night, and the murmur of spirits that sleep in the shadow of gods from afar grows dim in thine ears, and deep as the deep dim soul of a star in the sweet low light of thy face under heavens untrod by the sun let my soul with their souls find place and forget what is done and undone thou art more than the gods who number the days of our temporal breath for these give labour and slumber but thou prosopina death therefore now at thy feet i abide for a season in silence I know I shall die as my fathers died, and sleep as they sleep, even so, for the glass of the years is brittle wherein we gaze for a span. A little soul for a little bears up this corpse which is man, so long I endure, no longer, and laugh not again, neither weep, for there is no God found stronger than death, and death is asleep.